0: We're going to begin reading in Exodus chapter 33 verse 18 and read through Exodus chapter 34 verse 7. This is the word of the Lord. Moses said, please show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. The Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen." The Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready by the morning, and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai, and present yourself there to me on top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you, and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first. And he rose early in the morning and he went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand two stone tablets. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the Father on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. This is the Word of the Lord. they're leaving, I want you to take your Bibles, and if you are still there in Exodus chapter 33, that's where we're going to be this morning. I want to open with a quote In his book, Knowledge of the Holy, A.W. Tozer opens the book with these words. He says, What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the very most important thing about you. I want to ask you this morning, when you think about God, What is it that pops into your mind? Who is He? When you think about our God, the God who created us, the God who knows us better than anyone else in the world, the God who knows the very amount of hairs on your head, the God that knows your heart when you struggled in your heart with sin, when you think about that God, our God, I want to ask you this morning, what is the disposition of his heart towards you as his child. Let's make it a little more personal. When you hit the snooze button one too many times, and now your morning devotional time with the Lord is cut 15 minutes short because you're in a rush to get out the door now and you're hesitating to even go to the Lord with a couple of rush minutes that you have left before you head out the door, what is the disposition of God's heart towards you? as his child. When you've been convicted about your lack of patience with your kids and you've just lost it and you snapped at them for the third time today and you're hesitant to go to the Lord for the third time today and ask Him for His grace and mercy, what is the disposition of God's heart towards you as his child? When you've said a little too much, When you thought a little too much, when you took that extra bite, when you let your eyes linger a little too long, when you're discouraged because you see how fickle and half-hearted you can be, what's the disposition of God's heart towards you as His Child, when you've had that argument with your husband or wife, and you've said that thing that you know shouldn't have been said, and now you're thinking, today's not the day that the Lord probably wants to hear from me. What's the disposition of the heart of God towards you as His child? When you're having that really hard time loving that really hard family member to love and get along with, but you're hesitant to go to the Lord about it because you don't know if your heart's where it's supposed to be either, What's the disposition of his heart towards you as his child? I think that there are so many times where we think about the heart of God towards his children and we automatically assume that he is an angry God. We can think of him as if he's always clenching his gavel, just ready to bring it down, crashing in judgment and wrath. We often think of Him as He's primarily an angry God. Or maybe we think of Him as if He's primarily a disappointed God, as if He's constantly looking at us as His children, shaking His head with frustration. Sometimes I think we're tempted to look at Him as if He's a distant God, withdrawing away from us little by little because we so often struggle to get our act together. And there are many times where we think about God and the disposition of His heart towards us as His children that that our thoughts about God are more based upon our feelings or maybe the way that we parent or maybe the way that we were parented more than who God actually says He is. So we must be very careful to understand our God. Not based upon our thoughts, but based upon His. Based upon who God says God is. And thankfully, we have the Word of God here for us in the book of Exodus where God tells us, He really tells us, this is who I am. In Exodus chapter 33, Moses makes this very bold request to God. Please show me your glory. And you know how awesome The story is Moses asks God to see His glory. God puts Moses in the cleft of the rock. He covers Moses with his hand because Moses, Moses can't see the whole picture of God as God passes before him because God says, no one can see my face and live. And we think about that experience and we think, wouldn't it have been absolutely awesome and amazing to be there to experience what Moses experienced? We love this passage because we think about the excitement of what it would have been like to catch a glimpse of the glory of God. But when we read this passage, I think that it's possible for us to get so caught up in the excitement of thinking about what Moses saw, so much so that when God's glory passes by, we forget to notice what God says. I want to ask you, do you remember God's response as we read the passage a second ago about what God said to Moses when Moses said, Please show me your glory. God says this, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. God reminds Moses of his name when Moses asks to see His glory. And here's what God is telling Moses here. If you want to see my glory, listen to me when I tell you who I am. Brothers and sisters, I want to ask every single one of us in the room today, do you want to catch a glimpse of the glory of God today and experience what Moses experienced? If you do, you must listen when God tells you who He is. Sure, we weren't there on Mount Sinai to experience all that Moses saw, but we get to experience the glory of God today because we have his self revelation written down for us in his word. I'll share a quick story with you and hope it doesn't lessen your opinion of me very much. Uh, When I was in college, I spent some time with our Southern Baptist, some of our Southern Baptist missionaries in Indonesia, and there was a man there in his 20s who made a profession of faith while I was there. And he didn't know very much about the Bible, so in the couple of months that I was there, I wanted to teach him everything that I could about the Bible. So we spent a whole lot of time together, and one evening, he and I were sitting on the roof of the house where I was staying, and we were talking about the Bible, and I referred to it as the Word of God. And he stopped me and he said, hang on a second, you keep talking about the Word of God. What do you mean when you say the Word of God? And I said, well, let me go get it. I have the Word of God in my room downstairs. He looked at me very suspiciously and I said, hang on a second, I'll go get it. And he did not want me to go get the Word of God. And... Whenever I got downstairs to get it, it was just me in the room, and I kept my Bible in this waterproof sack. Uh, It wasn't necessarily see-through, but it was very thin. And I saw how suspiciously he was looking at me, and I thought, I'm going to have some fun with this. So I took two flashlights, and I turned them on, and I put them facing in opposite directions, and I put the flashlights in the bag, and I sealed the bag up with the Bible in the bag, and I started walking up the stairs towards him, just slowly like this. And by the time I got to him, he had his hands in his ears, panicking, thinking about what was going to happen when I unleashed the word of God. And we smile and maybe laugh at that story. But sometimes I look back and I think, who had better theology, me or him? He was astounded at a God who would speak. Brothers and sisters, we may not get to stand on the mountain with Moses, but we get to hear what God says when He proclaims His name. This is the Word of the Lord. This is how God wants to show you His glory today. This is who God says God is. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, And transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. I want to walk through this passage and show us four quick truths today about who God says God is. If you're taking notes, here's the first The Lord is merciful and gracious. When God describes Himself, These are the very first descriptive words that he uses. I am merciful and gracious. I love the book of Jonah. Uh, God called Jonah and He called him to go and preach to the city of Nineveh. If you remember anything about the city of Nineveh, it was the capital of the Assyrian Empire and it was a city of sin. Nineveh was like the Las Vegas of our day full of people who loved sin, full of people who hated Israel, full of people who hated Israel's God. So when God called Jonah and He told him to go and preach to the Ninevites, Jonah didn't want to go. Uh, Jonah would have rather gone anywhere else in the world because he absolutely hated the people of Nineveh. He would have been just fine with the judgment and wrath of God falling on these Ninevites because he thought, yes, they deserve it. So Jonah tries to run from God, tries to go in the direction of Parshish. And that's how Jonah ends up in the belly of the fish. And if you're a kid in here today, you'll think this is funny. Uh, Jonah gets thrown up by the fish onto the seashore. And then the Bible says that he finally decides to listen to God and obey God and go to Nineveh to preach what God had told him to preach. And I wonder as I read that passage... I hope Jonah took a bath. Kids, do you think that Jonah took a bath before? I don't know if he did or not. The text doesn't tell us, but I always wonder, did Jonah take a bath before he went to Nineveh? Anyway, Jonah goes to Nineveh to preach what God tells him to preach. And when he does, they listen to him. They repent of their evil. And they humbled themselves before God in repentance. They... They humble themselves before God. God relents His wrath. He actually forgives them. He gives incredible mercy and grace to these Ninevites. And if you've read through Jonah, you remember how Jonah responds to this. He actually quotes a piece of the passage that we read earlier in Exodus 34. This is what Jonah prays to the Lord. He says, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. Jonah is so mad that these Ninevites listened to his preaching and actually repented that he asked God to kill him. And Jonah was so disgusted with God that he actually has the audacity to say something to God like, this is why I tried to run away because God, I knew exactly what you would do because you're gracious to everyone who repents, even those awful, horrible, sinful Ninevites. Because God, that's who you are in the depths of your heart. You are gracious. You are merciful. I knew all along that you would forgive them if they humbled themselves and listened. We don't hear God respond to Jonah right here, but I feel like we can hear Exodus 34 echoing in our ears when God said to Moses, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Brothers and sisters, this is the amazing thing about our God. He gives grace to people who don't deserve it. To everyone who repents, He relents His wrath and judgment and gives grace. And this is the good news of the gospel message. Salvation belongs to the Lord who is merciful and gracious. Those who were far off have been brought near to God. Those who were far off, even as we sit here today, have been brought near and cleansed by the precious blood of Christ. Because this is a God who is merciful and gracious. You ask God, can you tell me, who, I, who you are, the first two words that come out of his mouth. I am merciful and gracious. But God tells us even more here when he proclaims his name to Moses. If you're taking notes, here's the second truth I want you to hear today. The word is slow to anger. He's slow to anger. Back to the question I asked you earlier, when you think about the disposition of God's heart towards you, Do you think that He's a God who is slow to anger? Or do you think of Him as a God who is quickly provoked to anger? We all know people who are quickly provoked to anger. You may have grown up in a house with someone who is quickly provoked to anger. You may live with someone right now who is quickly provoked to anger. And if you're like me sometimes, you look in the mirror and you see someone who is quickly provoked to anger. But what about God? Do you think of him as being patient with you or do you think of him as if he's a moody father ready to snap as soon as you drop the ball? I love the way that Dane Orland explains this in his book Gentle and Lowly. He writes, God doesn't have his finger on the trigger. Unlike us who are often emotional dams just ready to break, God can put up with a lot. We tend to think of His divine anger as pent up and spring-loaded. Like His anger is ready to gush forth with one little pinprick, but it's actually just the opposite. His anger requires provocation. What is actually pent up and spring-loaded, ready to gush forth with one little prick, is His divine mercy. I think that we so often miss out on this because we're so different in our flesh. We're quick to anger when someone does us wrong and if you don't believe me, go out to highway 35, let somebody pull out in front of you and go five miles per hour under the speed limit. And you will realize very quickly, I am very quick to anger sometimes. We are ready to fly off the handle and then when we're ready to fly off the handle and quick to anger, so often after that experience we are slow to forgive, and we are very cautious to forgive. Do you realize this morning our God is the very opposite of that? When you sin, His very first response to you is not anger, it is patience. We desperately need to remember this description of God. There are so many times that I believe we are hesitant to go to the Lord and go to the throne of grace because... Yeah, maybe maybe there are times where we haven't been broken over our sin, but I think there are so many times that we're not fully convinced that our God is slow to anger. We're not convinced that He's not waiting with His arms crossed, ready to let us have it when we get there. And I think that's the work of the devil. I think the devil tries to convince us that God will respond to us when we take our sins and struggle to Him by being quickly provoked to anger. Satan wants to convince us that it's easier just to avoid God's throne of grace by keeping our distance for a few days. So the way that we often respond is just like Adam and Eve in the garden, hiding away in our shame and sin. Here's what we're avoiding when we hesitate to draw near to the throne of grace. We're not, in, we're not avoiding an occasion with an embittered and angry father. We are invo- avoiding an encounter with a God who looks at you and says, I am slow to anger. A God who says, remember that you're not accepted because you've behaved well. You are accepted because the blood of my son Jesus has redeemed you. Before you had ever done anything good or bad, I chose to adopt you as my own child because this is the disposition of my heart. I've chosen to love you. Brothers and sisters, that's the disposition of God's heart towards you as His child. He is patient. He is long-suffering towards you. He is slow to anger. That brings us to the third truth I want to show you here today from this passage. The Lord abounds in steadfast love and faithfulness. As we read Exodus chapter 33 and verse 34, we have to keep in mind the context of where Moses has written this. Uh, This is after the people of Israel had broken the covenant with God in Exodus chapter 32. Um, When the people of Israel first arrived at Mount Sinai, they come before God, they come together as an assembly, and they all agree to the terms of the covenant that God sets forth to them. And you probably remember what they say. They all lift their voices together, and they cry out together with one voice, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And then what happens? Moses comes down the mountain with the Ten Commandments in his hands and he finds the Israelites doing the cha-cha slide around a golden calf. They had just received God's covenant, and they've already broken it. Theologian Kevin DeYoung says that it's like they had an affair on their honeymoon. They were immediately unfaithful to the covenant, and because of that, what did they deserve? They deserved God to leave them right where they were. They deserve for God to say, find your own way to the promised land and good luck defeating all the enemies that come against you along the way and good luck defeating all the enemies who are inhabiting the promised land once you get there. Is that what happens though? Not at all. But why? Why does God not leave them right there where they are? Here's why. God had made a covenant promise to Abraham. Abraham. That He would take Abraham's offspring to the land of Canaan and give it to them as an inheritance. So listen to this. God faithfully took those unfaithful people to the land that He had promised. Even through their coming years of sin and continual rebellion, He saved them, He carried them to the promised land. Not because they deserved it, but because of who He is in His character. He is steadfast and faithful Always faithful to keep His covenant promises. Now, I want to tell you what that means for us this morning. When you confess your sins to God, you don't have to have that small hint of doubt in the back of your mind that God's going to say, get it together or I'm done here. Because even if you're not abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, He is. God continued to go with the people of Israel towards the promised land because He is faithful to the covenant that he made with Abraham to get Abraham's offspring to the land. And the ultimate fulfillment of that promise of God to Abraham we find in the New Covenant. When we open the pages of the New Testament and we see a baby born in the manger, the ultimate fulfillment of that Abrahamic covenant is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Here's what I want you to hear from that today. If God was faithful to His covenant to Abraham, even when sinful people are involved, how much more faithful will God be to His promise to His Son, Jesus, even when sinful people are involved? God's love for you is not bound up in your own steadfast love and faithfulness. It's in His. God's love for you is not based on how you're doing today with your finances, with your marriage, with your children. On your best days, God loves you. On your worst days, God loves you the very exact same amount. So we come before the Father with absolute confidence because there's not a hint of change in His steadfast love and faithfulness. If you come before the Father pleading, nothing but the blood of Jesus, there is absolutely zero chance that you will walk away unforgiven because there is no shadow of turning or variation in the steadfast love in His character. When those people in the city of Nineveh humbled themselves and repented, did God look at the Ninevites and say, No way. This has gone on too long. You've done far too much. No. Or you can think about those two men who were hanging on each side of Jesus on the cross. Jesus was innocent, but both of those men were absolutely guilty thieves. And they were actually on those crosses for a reason. You know, they were true criminals. One of those men hanging beside Jesus looked at Jesus and he said, This man has done nothing wrong. He looked at Jesus and he says, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Did Jesus look at the man and roll his eyes and say, you're a hardened criminal, come on. You've lived this way your whole life, and you want to break now that you're on your deathbed, come on. Now Jesus hears this man's plea for mercy, and He says, today you will be with me in paradise. He didn't deserve it. God is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sins. Everyone who repents of sin and believes in Jesus will find Him with arms of compassion, wide open, ready to receive, and ready to give grace. Because that's who He is. Which brings us to our last point here in Exodus 34, where we hear God tell us something else about His character. As He's talking with Moses, this is the fourth reality if you're taking notes. The Lord does not overlook the guilty. Here in verse 7, God says that He will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And you may hear God say that and hear Him talk about being merciful and gracious and patient and slow to anger. And then you hear Him say, but he will not overlook the guilty. And you may think, wait, does that not contradict everything that we've just heard up to this point? No, it doesn't, it doesn't contradict anything at all. The reality that God is patient and gracious and still does not overlook the guilty does not contradict anything. It just means that God Refuses to pardon those who receive, who refuse to receive his forgiveness and grace. The guilty in these verses are those who have not come to him and asked for grace. They are those who are putting off the response to receiving God's grace. You remember that there is another thief on the cross hanging next to Jesus, who Jesus does not turn towards and say, today you will be with me in paradise. God is patient with the unrepentant for a long time, but not forever. The blood of Jesus does not make atonement for those who reject God's gracious offer of salvation. Pharaoh had an opportunity to repent. He had ten. But then God's God's patience came to an end, and, and so did Pharaoh and all of the armies of Egypt. If you are here today and you have yet to repent of your sin and trust in Christ, I want to ask, how many opportunities has the Lord given you? I bet it's more than 10. What are you waiting on? Are you putting off repentance for another day thinking God's patience will continue until you're a little older? Some of you students, maybe until you're out of high school or out of college. Some of you parents, maybe when my kids are finally settling down a little bit. If you continue to presume On the kindness of God, the Bible says in Romans chapter 2, you're doing nothing but storing up wrath and judgment for yourself on the day of judgment. My friend, God is not unjust. He doesn't overlook the guilty. He doesn't sweep sin under the rug. So what are you waiting on? The opportunity is before you this very day. Turn from your sins, turn to Jesus and be saved. Receive the grace that He extends to you this very morning. Come, you weary and heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry until you're better, you will never come at all. Why don't you come today? Why would you choose to stay in the company of the guilty when you can be pardoned and accepted into the family of the redeemed? I asked us a few minutes ago, what's the disposition of the heart of God towards you? The answer... To that question is this, are you washed in the blood? Everything depends on that. We never move past that. Everything depends on the question, are you washed in the blood of Jesus? This verse tells us that God will by no means clear the guilty, which sounds like bad news because we understand the depravity in our hearts. But then for those of us who have trusted in Jesus, we're reminded of the good news of the gospel. God did not overlook the guilty when it came to us. The guilt for our sin was transferred and credited into the account of our Lord Jesus Christ. And our guilt was punished 2,000 years ago as Jesus carried our guilt and our punishment and He was hanged on a tree in the place of sinners. That record of debt that stood against us, Colossians says, was taken and nailed to the cross. If that doesn't tell you the disposition of God's heart towards His children, I don't know what does. Is that what pops into your mind when you think about God? A God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving iniquities and transgressions and sins. But even in that, a God who will by no means clear the guilty, but, those who, but the God who does clear our sins by sending His Son Jesus to die on the cross and take our punishment in our place. You want to know the heart of God. That's who He is. If you're washed in the blood, His disposition towards you is always Grace. If you're washed in the blood, it's always mercy. If you're washed in the blood, it's always patience. It's always love. It's always faithfulness. It's always forgiveness. So run to Jesus. He stands with arms of forgiveness and compassion ready to save, ready to forgive, ready to lavish grace upon you this morning. There is truly a spring-loaded door of a storehouse of grace that's just ready to bust open to you if you're washed in the Savior's blood. Are you washed in the blood this morning? If you are, why not approach His throne of grace this day and praise Him for who He is, who He says He is, not who we feel like He is, who He tells us He is in His Word. For He is a God who has been merciful and gracious to you displaying His steadfast love and mercy again and again and again. Why not come before Him this morning and receive grace? And if you're here this morning and you have yet to trust in Jesus, today's the day of salvation. Why not come before Him and confess your sins to the Father and ask Him to forgive you through the sacrifice of Jesus? and the resurrection of Jesus in your place. The Bible says that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you haven't been saved by this gospel, will you ask God, show me your glory today by forgiving you of your sins and giving you new life in the Son of God?